Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. We've been going on in a series here called Letters from a Friend, and I want to divert. I want to take a little break from that. We may go back to that here in a couple weeks. Um, but for now, I want to divert. And with, with what we've been talking about, the Apostle John and his letters, it's really stirred me up to kind of look at some different things, uh, particularly in his gospel and in the gospels, and even some stuff in the Old Covenant. Now, we're not going to go through all that today, but I want us to really see you know, Grandpa John was really bringing us to this place. And of course, he was speaking to these churches in Asia Minor, but he was also speaking for us today that we would not make the gospel more than Jesus or less than Jesus, right? And so he, there, in this fiery letter, he's basically, he's addressing these false doctrines that are infiltrating the church. He's addressing, you know, people who aren't, who say they're of the light, but they're not walking in love. And so there's all these different aspects, but that really brings us back to his gospel and the gospels. And again, even the old covenant, I'm realizing more and more. See, let me just talk to you for a second about my journey. You know, when I, when I first became a pastor, when pastoral, you know, I had a certain idea of who God was. I had certain theology, a certain indoctrination. How about you? Anyone here? And if you notice that as you've grown on this journey, as you're listening, especially to the voice of Holy Spirit, have you noticed that you begin to change some of those ideas? How many in the last two years have changed some of their doctrine yeah. and theology? Right. Last five years? Ten years? See, if your hand hasn't gone up at all or online, no condemnation, but you need to grow. And I think sometimes what happens is we're so scared to grow outside of the box of even what we've been brought up in. Well, I used to go to that little old country church in the corner. Hey, they were wonderful people. But guess what? Holy Spirit's continually moving. So it's okay. It's okay to move from maybe what you believed at one point. And that's been part of my process is being okay with saying, okay, Holy Spirit, this takes faith because I'm stepping into something that I didn't really believe before. You're stretching me in what I believe in my theology. And so in my own journey, when I discovered... I hate saying all this, but I discovered grace. You know, the grace thing, it was this big movement, and it still is, and we refer to him as the grace camp. And I would say that we transferred into that maybe, what, seven, eight years ago into this grace idea. And it was, it was a beautiful doorway or gateway into the kingdom, wasn't it? But during that process, I almost wanted to discount, now hear me out, I wanted to discount the Old Testament. So I'm like, well, we're moving on, man, we're moving on. But then here's what happens when you start to wander back through the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, but you take Jesus with you, it's so cool. Because he's like, yeah, see me? See me right there? <gasps> you were. Now, now see how I was right there working through that? No, no, no. I know what Joshua said. He got some stuff wrong, just like you do. Okay, okay, I get it. But can you see me in that? Can you see some foreshadowing of me? And it's like, wow, this is cool. So... What we can't do is we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, a lot of us were, how many were raised in Baptist church? A few hands, okay. Uh, Pentecostal? Word of faith? Charismatic? Uh, Presbyterian? 
Oh, Presbyterian here. I'll quiet down a little bit for you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Lutheran. Ah, yeah. Do you know we're actually in a Lutheran building? This, this used to be owned by Trinity Lutheran who moved up the road and, and they were gracious enough to sell us the church because they wanted our money. No, but they, they wanted to sell the building and it was beautiful. And we love this building. We love this facility. But no matter where we've come out of denominationally, they say that in the Protestant religion there's about 40,000 Jesuses because that's about how many little sects of, you know, sections of that you see as far as Protestantism. But... You know, we have all these things that have come out of that, but how many know it's okay to keep the good things you've learned? We're going to talk about that a little bit today. But Jesus did something when he showed up on the scene. And so again, today I want to take a break from that series, Letters from a Friend. And we might come back to that, but again, the Apostle John, he's trying to really establish and get through to those early churches who were obviously struggling with this message of Jesus. They were feeling like they had to add something to it. And he's saying, listen guys, don't add anything to it. Follow Jesus, follow love, lead with love. You're going to see your life transform, and you don't need to try to perform to cause that to happen. I think sometimes when we read Scripture, it's easy to just judge, isn't it? But I think when we look at the church in Asia Minor, and they're going through these issues, I think we really need to have a little bit of empathy for those who were choosing this way of life of Jesus plus something else because whether you were a Jew at this time or you were a Greek, there's this thing called religion. Say that with me. Religion. Say it one more time. Religion. Which they all practice in their own way, in their own form or their own fashion, right? And so it created a sense of maybe having to do more or be more in order to be acceptable to whatever God you were serving. Because I'm going to know the Greeks weren't serving God, Jehovah, right? In fact, the Jews were serving Yahweh. That's their name for him. And so there was different gods. But in every religion, even today, this is why we need to empathize, even today we do the same thing. Every world religion, and I think we've sometimes, we've made Christianity into a religion where it's all about doing more or being more in order to attain a higher level. But Jesus came and he leveled the playing field. And he says, you're all welcome, you're all family, will you accept? And so it really, it seems so simple sometimes, but I love, this is probably one of my, say my favorite scriptures, let's just say one of my top 10. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Extremely familiar to most of us, but let's read it again. How many know repetition is good? It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Anyone here feel weary and burdened? Anyone experience that ever in life? Now, some of you are like, no, man, I get it, man. I'm following Jesus. There's no burdens. But for some of us, even online, you're watching. Maybe you just tuned in today. The first time you're like, what is this guy talking about? Because I am feeling guilty right now because I'm not in church doing something because I have to achieve and do more to be more. But that's not the gospel. Look at this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, say it with me, rest. That goes so against the grain of religion, doesn't it? I mean, I know the both start with the letter R, rest and religion, but it just doesn't seem to go hand in hand, does it? Look at this, verse 29. He says, take my yoke on you 
and learn from me. Now, we understand that as a rabbi, a rabbi's yoke, now I understand that he wants us to yoke up and hook up with him, but also the Jews would have understood that a yoke is a particular interpretation of Torah, right, of these scriptures. And so he was saying, take my interpretation up on you and learn from me, because you got some stuff to learn. I'm going to show you some uh, some things in the Torah that you may not have seen straight, and I'm going to straighten it out for you because I am gentle and humble in heart. And look at this, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my load is not hard to carry. So I want to talk about this idea today in the message, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. If you feel any of that today, if you feel weary in life or burden, Jesus is saying, come to me, all you, say all you, all you who are weary and burdened. You know, I often say that Jesus didn't show up on planet earth to bring us more religion. Jesus didn't show up to say, hey guys, I appreciate all the religious stuff you've been doing, but here's some more religion to pile on top of that. Nope, he's like, come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. If you're weary and burdened, come to me. Why? I want to give you rest. He came to bring us life. He says in John 10, 10, he came to bring us life more abundantly. I think it's the amplified that says life to the full, in abundance to the full till it overflows. Now, you'll see this, this central theme, especially when you look at the original languages. Jesus was all about this life that overflowed with life. It wasn't just enough to get by. I'm going to scrape by today. I'm going to scrape by this week. It's abundant life. And it always bubbles over. Why? Look at the life of Jesus. Jesus was always bubbling over with life to the point where it flowed on everyone else. Healing of the physical body, the emotions, everything. Why should we bubble over, be abundant with life so I can keep it for myself? No, so others can enjoy and have life abundantly. We're all called to this. And there's a big difference between these two different ways of living. Now, religion means different things to many of us. When you hear the word religion, what do you think? Now, if you've been here for any amount of time, you know, I mean, it could be a dirty word, right? But it's not necessarily. And I want us to see this point today because even the Apostle James, I mean, he says that the purest form of religion that's undefiled, listen to this, is when you help or give to the orphan and the widow. Now, if you look all through the Old Testament, this is crazy. This thing we understand, do you realize that these were Jewish boys? The disciples were Jews. So the only scripture, they, they, they didn't even know they were writing scripture for us in the New Testament. I don't believe. Now, I think Peter at one point even said of the, the writings of Paul, he goes, this is inspired scripture. Which Paul is probably like, what are you talking about, dude? Don't put that kind of pressure on me. But all they had was the Torah to turn to. And if you look all through the Torah, the law, the prophets, the main sin of Israel all along was forgetting the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner. Sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? (laughs) The biggest sin was forgetting the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner, the refugee. In fact, there were provisions in the law. If someone was a refugee coming from somewhere else, take care of them. Let them cross the border and take care of them. Take care of the poor among you. Take care of the widow. Take care of the orphan. 
I'm just telling you what, what scripture said. Okay, the Torah. I'm not saying my opinion. No politics here. I've gotten off the grid when it comes to politics. Let me just tell you that right now. Social media, I don't know what it is unless I go, come to church on Sunday morning. That's about all I do to get on it, right? How about you? Have you detached from that? But religion means different things to different people. So let's just begin with the def- definition. According to the OED, which is the Old English Dictionary, the word originally meant this, to bind as binding to religious vows, practices, or traditions. Now let me say this. Vows and practices and traditions aren't bad. It's why are you doing them? We just received communion this morning. Beautiful tradition, right? Beautiful practice. Unless you make it religious, something you have to do to be okay with God. See, the beauty of it here is, you know, some people do it every service, which is great. You could do it at home. You could do it at church, however. But, but the beauty of it is every time you do it, you get to remember Jesus. You can remember this new covenant. You get to remember this new way of life. It's like this beautiful thing. Don't turn it into a religious, churchy thing. But by all means, if it's a vow or a practice or tradition that keeps you centered, that's beautiful. Because I think as human beings, these are great ways to help us to stay focused or stay the course. But the thing is, does this come out of a life lived with fear, like I must, or obligation, I have to, or does it come out of a life lived in love? Now, if you Google the etymology of the word religion, you will see that it comes from the Latin, two words, the word re, which means to return or to return to, and the word legare, which means to tie or to bind. So listen to this, at the very heart, at the heart of religion, it's returning to bondage. Now, how many would say that Jesus probably didn't show up on planet earth to return us to bondage? Are we getting this? I know some of you have heard this, and it's a refresher, but maybe some have it online. And I want us to just really come together this morning and really think this through. Now, as we look at this, again, at its heart, religion is returning to bondage. Think about this. To say that there are forms of religion that are really good is like saying that there are forms of slavery that are really good. It just doesn't work, right? And so the problem with man-made religion is that when you read the Bible, your particular view of this Bible, this book, you view it in a distorted way that glorifies self through our own self-effort and our self-righteousness. And you know what that does? It diminishes grace. See, I want to elevate grace in my life. How about you? And so what we get is we get this mixed gospel of Jesus plus your self-effort. But the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. I like what one, pa- one pastor says. He goes, Jesus plus nothing, no additives. How many here love to eat food with, without high fructose, without MSG, no additives? You're like, no, I love both those, both hands up. Okay, that's fine. But when it comes to Jesus, don't add any high fructose. Don't add any MSG. It's Jesus plus nothing, no additives. So, To me, when I read the letters of the Apostle John, when I hear the words of Grandpa John later in his years, I really believe that he was trying to get this point through his letters to these churches in Asia Minor, that you you don't need to add more to Jesus. And certainly don't take anything away from Jesus. It's Jesus plus nothing. But let's look at Matthew chapter 11 here again in the message translation. 
I love this. Eugene Peterson just translates this beautiful here. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Now, what would be your answer to either of those questions? Three questions there. Are you tired? Maybe. Are you worn out? I think so. <laughs> are you burned out on religion? Look at this. Come to me. This is Jesus speaking, right? Get away with me. And look at this. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. This isn't fake. This is the real deal. A real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Now, I love this next. Look at this next quote. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Wow. Isn't that awesome? The unforced rhythms of grace. He goes on to say, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. How many would love to live freely and lightly? How about you online? Can I get an amen? Would you love to live freely and lightly? This is the place that he wants us to live from. That doesn't mean that life doesn't happen. That doesn't mean that we don't go through issues and adversity. Of course we do. That's just life happening. But in the midst of those things, I've been on both sides of the fence. I, I've been in those times where it just seems like it's not free and light, right? Like it feels like bondage and heavy. But he's saying you can live free and you can live light. See, religion alienates you from grace. It will alienate you from grace. Think about this. Religion offers a pathway to God. Religion says, here's the way to God. Just go this direction but you know that path actually leads away from the throne of grace because it's about our own self-effort. You know, keep these rules, heed these principles, do what you're told, and you'll be acceptable by God, accepted by God. But, but the answer is nope. <laughs> the highway of religious pride does not go to the throne of grace, nor will it ever. And so we even look at the Apostle Paul in his fiery letter to the Galatians as he's writing the church in Galatia, he says, but now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements? In other words, why are you going back to the temple system? The sacrifice has already been made, the final sacrifice for all, he says, to which you desire again to be in bondage? And then he goes on to say, you have been severed from Christ. Not that Christ has left you, but you've severed yourself from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have, listen to this, fallen from grace. Which I think is interesting because when we use that term normally, it's a preacher who sinned. Oh, he fell from grace. But the apostle Paul's saying that falling from grace is when you turn back to a system of law, when you turn back to a system of doing more and trying to be more. Now listen, that doesn't mean we don't have stuff to do, right? There's kingdom business to do, but it comes out of this law of love that's been, I love how the scripture actually depicts it, been sown into our hearts. It's not chiseled in stone, it's sown into your heart. It's the law of love. Listen, when you let love lead, you won't fall into sin. You won't misstep. Whenever I, whenever I look at my life, I'm like, why did I do that? It's because I wasn't leading with love. I've forgotten who I am. Does that make sense? So falling from grace isn't sinning. It's when we seek to be justified by the law, or we could say our own self-effort. It's really a flesh trip. So again, religion alienates you from 
grace. So I just want to look at two points today about what religion says. Number one, religion says you can go too far with grace. Now think about this. You can go too far with grace. Has anyone heard this before? I've heard people say this. You've got to be careful. You, you dish out too much grace. You never know what's going to happen. No, I know what's going to happen, but it's because I have a, a firm understanding of what grace does, even in my own life. We need to remember that grace involves God expressing his unconditional love. Think about this. His unconditional love and favor toward us. This is something that's given to us whether we deserve it or not. It's completely independent of anything that we even do or don't do. It's already done. I know we've heard this terminology, but, but think about this. It's a done deal. It's, it's already done for you. And the question is, will you receive it? Will you embrace it? And we know this, that grace is personified in the person of Jesus Christ, isn't it? I mean, we see it all through his ministry. So to say that you can go too far with grace is like saying that you can go too far with Jesus. Think about that. It simply is impossible. Now, I understand that, and I listen, I've had a lot of different meetings with pastors and leaders who, and I can understand maybe why they get a little scared, but some people are afraid that if you teach the pure grace of God, unadulterated, unconvoluted, people might be encouraged to go out and sin because sin doesn't matter. Now, I'd like to think that we preach the pure, unadulterated grace and love of God here. Is anyone in agreement with that? Now, do you ever leave a service going, man, pastor, thank you for that license to sin now. I found that you don't have to give out licenses for it. People do it anyway, without a license. But, but to me, that kind of fear just shows a lack of clear understanding about what grace does in a person's life. Once you experience it, you're not thinking, wow, I can sin now. Why is it that when we hear freedom in Christ, we think that's freedom to sin? The truth is it's freedom from sin. Sin brings death. The wages of sin, not God, the wages of sin is death. Sin stinks, it stings, it hurts, it's no good for anyone. We know that. I don't have to tell you that. That's why I don't preach against particular sins. I said it before, but that's, that's like whack-a-mole preaching. It's like, okay, what's going on in the congregation now? Preach against that. What's going on now? Preach against that. But see, when I introduce yourself to who you truly are, when your heart opens up to the truth and reality that you are God's loved child, it changes your actions and your words and what you do. So I don't have to preach against the sin. Most of us, if we're caught up in sin and addiction, we don't want to be there anyway, right? For those of us who are followers of Jesus. So it's not a matter of preaching against something to get you to stop. It's awakening you to who you truly are. That's what really brings the change in life. See, when God's grace really takes a hold of us, and I've experienced this in my own life and a lot of facets of my life, it does the exact opposite of encouraging sin. Grace does not encourage sin. It causes us to draw near in love and faith to our Heavenly Father which is where we find a greater desire to walk in a manner pleasing to him. When we know that our Father is approachable 
and there's no issue, there's no separation between us, it really causes us to have this great desire to please him. To say, Father, I want to please you. I just want to do what's right. And when you discover your true identity, when you do those other things, you're like, oh, that just doesn't feel right. This, this, that's not who I am. Well, that's not to say that I don't have days where I say something wrong to my wife or my kids or I get ticked off at someone and say something I shouldn't say or, or whatever it is. We all experience that. But you know what's wild is it's his grace that, that kind of pricks my heart and I go, oh, wait, 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 that, that wasn't right. I don't feel condemnation. I don't feel shame. But I know that I'm operating outside of his will for me, which is to be who I truly am. And so that's those points where I go, Hey, God, I'm sorry. That's not who I am. I'm not built for that. And I might have to go to someone and say, hey, hon, I'm sorry for the way I reacted or said that. It just wasn't right. Hey, son, hey, daughter, sorry about the way I did that. Do you follow me? And so that's what grace does for us. But look at this, what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. He says, for if... Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Look at this. Much more will those. You see that? Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and free gift of righteousness reign in life. How many want to reign in life? Over those things that seem to drag you down, right? Through who? The one man, Jesus Christ. One of my best buddies, Pete and I, he came over and helped us. We're doing this kitchen remodel, and he just, man, just blessed us with some work. And we were just talking about this and, and the idea that, you know, sometimes we give first Adam more power than we do last Adam. See, Jesus was called the last Adam for a reason, because he's the last of all Adams. And so sometimes what we like to do is we like to go to the fall of man versus the creation of man for our start. But you know, for God, it never changed. When he created you, he says, you were very good. And then we said, nope, we're going to do it on our own. Oh, shame, guilt, condemnation, I am very bad. But Jesus came to reintroduce yourself to yourself and say, nope, you've always been good. You just haven't awakened to it. I know it's hard for some people to take, but it's just the truth. God didn't mess up. God didn't have a, oh, 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 crap. Can I say that? Oh, oh, shoot. What, what am I going to do? Jesus, Jesus, maybe you can go down and die or something. I don't know. I don't know what just happened. If we are created by God, don't you think he already knew what was going on and what was going to happen and decisions we would make? I'm sorry, but Jesus wasn't a plan B, folks. Jesus was God in flesh saying, I want to awaken you to who you've always been. You're acting crazy. You're acting the fool. Why? You've forgotten who you were. And so sometimes we give more power to the creation story, Adam, first Adam, than we do last Adam. But look at this. How much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? See, the Apostle Paul is saying that if we're going to reign in life, there needs to be an abundance of grace. 
Without that, you can't reign. And what we do sometimes is we tell people, well, you're disgusting to God. He can, he can barely look at you. I mean, if he puts on a pair of Jesus glasses, then maybe he's okay. But listen, even when my kids have acted the craziest in their life, they made the worst decisions ever, they've moved out and they did it their own way, and they got themselves into just crazy predicaments, never once. Now, was I, was I upset at, at what they were going through? Yes. But did I ever think they were disgusting and they didn't deserve to be part of the family? Never. You hear me? Never. They're my children. They're lost. They've forgotten. They're a Baransic. They're lost. Jesus came to say, you're lost. You've forgotten that you're a beloved child of God. And so you're off acting crazy. You're like the prodigal son who took the inheritance and squandered it. But at least he had enough sense to come back to the father, even if it was a rehearsed speech, just to get some food in his tummy. The father ran to meet him. What did he do? He put a robe on his back. He put sandals on his feet and a ring on his finger. You know what he was saying? Your position in the family has never changed. But, but, but I did get your big butt out of the way. Your position in the family has never changed. You changed in your thinking. That's why Paul tells us that we were enemies of God in our minds. I love that Paul put this. God was never our enemy. And I know I go back to this, but even in the creation story, when, when in this beautiful poem that I believe is depicting what, what humanity looks like when they fall away from God, when they try to do it on their own, even when they did it their own way, did God leave them? No. He came to them calling, where are you? Where are you? And I think it's more than just you know, a game of hide and seek, like God didn't know where they were. I think God knew where they were. To me, it's where are you in your thinking? Where are you right now in your mentality of who and whose you are? And then to even prove to them that they were still loved by him, he offered the first sacrifice and took the skin of that sacrifice and he covered their shame and he covered their guilt. Not so that he could be okay with them, so that they could say, okay, God, you're okay with me. See, we can distort the picture. It's so easy to do. And I understand that we're all on a journey and we're growing. And maybe I've even said things that just, whoop, you, you tilted a little bit. That's okay. I tilted the first time I've heard a lot of this stuff. When I realize that God has always loved me, it's never changed. He cares about me. He desires relationship with me. That there's this connection in him. We live, move, and have our being. That we're all connected. And when you see that, you begin to see not just yourself differently, but you begin to see people differently. It's like, for me, let me just talk about me. I used to have labels over the top of people's heads when you saw them, right? Republican, Democrat, gay, straight, uh, male, female, Jew, Greek. Like we had all these labels and it was like Jesus came and went, Whoosh. stop at the labels. Stop labeling people. And so now, this might sound crazy to you, but when I see somebody, if I'm listening to that, that still small voice, I see a label right over top. It says, beloved child. 
Now, what would happen to, to the way that you treat that person? To how you see that person? To how you speak to that, I'm saying that I'm person, because that us and them mentality, right? We, we've kind of grown up in that culture. It's us and them. But what if that was removed? And whenever you saw somebody, even if you didn't agree with their lifestyle or their politics or, or just the way that they did life, what if you saw that label over them? The only label that should be there that says beloved child. How would you treat them? How would you speak to them? And see, this opens things up to actually... Like Jesus prepared a table for us, we prepare tables for people. What I mean is we prepare an atmosphere where people feel like they can talk about their life. They can open up. We begin to sympathize and empathize and hear their story. And all of a sudden, this person that used to be other, now they have feelings and dreams and goals and wins and losses and hurts. Come on, you listening this morning? That's the journey I've been on. But it's important that we see this abundance of righteousness. This is what gets us through life because the result, he says, is that we will reign in life, which certainly doesn't sound to me like a motivation to keep sinning. Amen? Also, the word abundance in this verse suggests an overflow. In fact, in the Greek, the word abundance means superabundant, excessive in quantity. That's the kind of grace that Jesus has given us. Isn't that awesome? It doesn't mean that we're just filling something to the top. It means we're filling it beyond the top until it spills over and it overflows. And Paul says that is what has happened to us. We have received an overflow of grace. So the question is, uh, can you go too far with grace? Uh, there's no way. Amen? Number two, religion says we need to balance grace and truth. We need to balance grace and truth. I need a Kleenex, please. Maybe I'll start bringing them up here beforehand. <laughs> Thanks, babe. Number two, we need to balance grace and truth. How many have heard this before? This is a lie, just so you know, to try and balance grace and truth. You just can't do it. The lie that we need to find a balance between grace and truth might sound good to those who don't know better, those who understand this religious view of it. But for me, I can't overstate the disastrous effect of attempting to divide the two. Grace and truth are inseparable. I heard one guy say that they're like conjoined twins, and if you try to separate one from the other, you end up killing them both. Pretty powerful, you know, analogy, but I, I think it's true. You can't separate them without diminishing both. See, grace and truth are not opposed to one another, folks. It's one and the same. Hey, listen, if you want to draw lines in the sand here, we'll draw it between grace and legalism. Draw between grace and religion, not between grace and truth. The Bible plainly puts grace and truth on the same side of the line, in Jesus. Look what John puts in John chapter 1, verse 17, his prologue to his gospel. He says, for the law was given through Moses, look at this, grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. Was it just grace? Was it just truth? 
It was both. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John says here that grace and truth came to fullness, or we could say to fruition, in the person of Jesus Christ. Listen, he wasn't part grace, he wasn't part truth, he was 100% grace and 100% truth. You can find the qualities of both in Christ. Now, this is really cool. Here's a little side note. Now, we should know that the apostles, again, I've said this many times, but just in case you don't know, they were all Jewish, right? They were Jewish boys. And so, This means that their understanding of God came through the Torah. That's all they knew. I said it earlier, but they didn't have a New Testament. They were learning how to, Jesus told them, he said, I give you authority to bind and loose. Now, I know some denominations have taken that, and that becomes into all-night prayer meetings where you're binding devils and you're loosing stuff. But if you understand Judaism at the time, binding and loosing was how you interpret Scripture. You would move along in your journey and you would bind some things and you would loosen other things. And the apostles did this the whole time. I think it's, it's kind of funny that when it came to allowing Greeks to join the Christian church, that their answer to this whole thing, because there, there were some who were going in and saying, well, it's cool that you know, you've embraced Jesus, but you need to be circumcised as well. Well, how many know those Greeks were like, what? What'd you just say? Right? But the, the Jewish council, council of the church had to make a decision. What do we do? And so they finally decided, you know what? They don't have to be circumcised. That's not what it's about. But their answer was, well, it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit that we make this decision. Now, we read that. If you just gloss over, you're like, oh, wow, that's really cool. But think about it. Well, I mean, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit, so we're just going to do it. They were learning. They were binding and loosing. They were learning how to keep some things from Torah, but then reinterpret other things. Jesus reinterpreted scripture tons of times. That's what irritated the religious people. Paul does it more than any other apostle. He literally takes the Torah, he takes scripture, and he quotes it. But if you go back to look at it, he changed the words. Who are you, Paul? He's binding and loosing. He's reinterpreting Do you follow me? We could just go on so many different ways with this, but I want us to understand, again, they were Jews, so their understanding of God would come through the Torah, or we could say the law, but we also know that they walked with Jesus on this earth for like three and a half years during his ministry, right? So walking with Jesus would change your lens that you saw the Torah through. Does that make sense? And at one point, Jesus said this. He says, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. In other words, I came to give you the proper interpretation of law. That's actually what that means. And I'm not going to go into that because we understand that. So Jesus is like, I'm going to reinterpret some things, guys. I'm going to clear some things up that you never saw until I showed up on the scene, God in flesh. And so how many know that Jesus should be the, the lens? If, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus and we want to read the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, or any scripture for that matter, we should always look at it through the lens of Jesus. Does that make sense? So again, they had Jesus as their lens to interpret the Jewish scriptures. So when John says here that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, you know, he was actually requoting, or we could say bringing a better understanding or interpretation of Exodus chapter 34. 
Now, this is a story where Moses is on the mountain. You saw the movie, right? They actually recorded it. They had some HD video back then, right? They recorded it. Uh, what's that? Oh, yeah. It was, it was really good, though. But, but he comes down the mountain. The best depiction is, um, what's the Mel Brooks film? Come on. History of the world. I love when Moses comes down and he's like this. He has three tablets. He's like, I give you the 15. And then he drops when it breaks and he goes, the 10 commandments. Anyway. You're like, you watch Mel Brooks? It was a long time ago before Christ. But anyway. No, I'm just kidding. But this is the point where he's received. There's so much in this, man. There's one point. I get it, this is so cool. I've been studying this lately. Where... Moses goes up in the mountain and it says that the glory of the Lord was like a cloud and it was hovering for six days. Get this, six days it hovered. And on the seventh day, he said, Moses, enter the glory. It's creation story again, folks. That stuff really just gets me going. I'm like, what? Like, we're going to recreate a new way of living and life. It's so cool. So this is when he receives the Ten Commandments. Now, I want you to catch this. Listen to this portion of the story. This is Exodus 34, 6. It says, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. This is God speaking. I'm merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Now, some translations say great love or loyal love and truth. In fact, the common Jewish Bible here says, listen to this, grace and truth. Now, why do I say this? Because the story never changed. God has always been the same. Grace and truth were all the way back on the great mountain with Moses when he was giving him the Ten Commandments. Now, I know this, in the grace community, sometimes we, we've almost, I don't want to say that we're antinomian, which means haters of the law, but we've almost got to this point where we don't see the truth and the beauty in the law and why it was brought. There, there's some beauty in it. I mean, think about this. To us, it's barbaric to say an eye for an eye, right? If you rape that person, we're going to rape you. It's like, whoa, 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 why would we go that far? That's crazy. That seems barbaric, right? But see, before this time, literally, if you brushed up wrong against your master, he could kill you. So eye for an eye was this giant leap forward. See, sometimes, think about your journey. In your journey, if God gave you revelation that you have now 10 years ago, you might have went, no way, I can't handle it. So to me, the beauty of God saying, okay, guys, listen, because how many know this, man? I'm just, is this okay? How many, how many know this, that, that God invited them all to the mountain? He wanted all of Israel to come up the mountain, to let him do his thing and stir up some glory and make it good and say, enter the rest. Come on. Just like the creation story. Every one of them. And they got to the mountain, they got scared, and they said, Moses, you take care of it. See, I believe that the law 
and even the blueprint for the tabernacle and all these different things. We got to understand the culture of the time. Listen, there were temples and there were arcs and there were covenants and there were covenants that went into arcs and there was circumcision and there was things from cultures all around. And I believe what God did is he said, listen, I'm going to work within what you understand. Do you remember when Israel said, we want a king? And the prophet said, this won't be good. And he went through the whole list of what's going to happen if you get a king. And they said, no, we want a king. And what did God do? He conceded. See, God works within the framework of our understanding. He has with me. There's certain things that, the stuff that that he's revealing now to me, 10 years ago, I would have went, I I can't do this. I would have just stopped. And so that's what I see in this. Now, I want us to go back to John in chapter one. Are you following me this morning? I know I'm all over the place, but this is so good. You can only get so much in the two to three hours, so just stick with me. We're almost there. John chapter one, I want to go back to verse 14, and we'll lead up to 17. It says, now the word became flesh and took up residence among us. Now, I know a lot of times we say the word of God, we think of the Bible, which that's okay, nothing wrong with the terminology, but the word of God is Jesus. Jesus became flesh, God in flesh was Jesus, right? We saw his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of what? Grace and truth. Listen, never changed. Thousands of years ago, grace and truth, it hasn't changed. Who came from the Father. Verse 15, John testified about him and shouted out, this one was the one about whom I said, he who comes after me is greater than I am because he existed before me. Verse 16, for we all have received from his fullness one gracious gift after another. Look at this. For the law was given through Moses, but what? Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Loyal, or we could say covenant love and truth. That word actually means trustworthiness. So two of the words that John has chosen here as attributes of God are named in Exodus 34, 6. Isn't that cool? It was his understanding. He was bringing his understanding of the Torah to now what we would call the new covenant, the new testament. The biggest takeaway that I see here again is that God has never changed. He has always been full of grace and truth. This isn't a new message. And I used to say that thinking it's not a new message. I mean, Paul preached it. Uh, God preached it on Mount Sinai. Come on. That's all I got to say about that. Isn't that awesome? So anytime you hear people say, well, this message of grace is good, but you have to balance that with the truth, you can recognize what they're doing here. And whether they're just sincerely mistaken or just plain religious, you can know that it's a lie because grace and truth are not on two different sides of the dividing line. Can I get an amen? Amen. They're on the same side of the line. So we have Jesus, the person of Jesus right here who brought grace and truth. So why do we struggle with this so much? Well, honestly, I think it's because human beings, I mean, we're just we often have this tendency to not be in balance ourselves, And so we're always looking for balance. See, again, if you hear grace, the first time I heard grace, I was like, wait, what? I mean, honestly, years and years ago, I'm like, sin doesn't matter. See where we go? And we feel like we have to balance it out. But when you understand grace, you're like, oh, sin matters. And it has nothing to do with my life. I'm going a different road. It's beautiful. They're perfectly compatible. To suggest that we should find balance within the topic of grace is a subtle yet very harmful lie. And I believe that any attempt to do that is to compromise grace. Grace is Jesus. And guess what? Jesus doesn't need to be balanced with anything. Man, that's powerful. 
So remember, religion makes us feel like there must be something that we have to do, something that we have to contribute to life once we receive Christ. But the truth is that you can't add anything. Just be who you are in Christ. And once you be who you are, then you'll do the right thing. So as a believer, you already have Jesus. And guess what? He is the grace and the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. So do not let religion alienate you from grace. And I love this as we wrap and bring this to a close. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Some translations say heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What I desire for you today is to allow grace to free you from anxiety over what you need to do. But at the same time, what grace does is I believe it provides you with the fuel that you need in life to do what you're called to do. Because we're all called to do something. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we first of all thank you for your peace. It's a peace that just transcends all understanding. It's a peace that you can have even in the midst of adversity. We thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for grace and for truth, for that that word grace, even in the Hebrew, is loving kindness or loyal love or undying love. We thank you that it's unconditional. It's freely given. And you've never changed. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So why would we think that this is something new 2,000 years ago? This is who you are, full of grace and truth. Say this with me, Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for truth. I receive that. I embrace that. I own that. Show me, Holy Spirit, day by day, who I truly am. And I know that I can trust you. Say this, I have faith in you. I have faith in you, Jesus. I trust you with my life. Father, I know that as you show us those things, we choose to operate differently, to say things differently, to just be different than maybe what we were before. I pray that we would begin to see if there's any labels on any person that we would see others as beloved children. And it would change the way that we operate in this world. I so desire for the world to see your beauty, for the world to see your grace and your truth. And we're the ones that are on display. So I pray that we would take that seriously. The next time we post on social media or feel like we have to get involved in an argument, the next time we tell a joke or we see things a certain way, the next time we treat someone differently than what a kingdom person would, we thank you that without shame but in perfect love, you'll reveal to us, nope, that's not who you are. And it's from that point that we begin to grow and mature, be perfected in your love, and true change will transpire. 
in those moments. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. 